I invite you to open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be reading a verse in just a moment that um, probably most of you already know or are very familiar with. Uh, and probably don't really need a reminder of. But what I want to do this morning is just remind us of what the Bible says here and really kind of expound upon that. If you already looked at the uh, sign coming in, you kind of know where we're going in Colossians chapter 3, particularly in verse 7. Colossians 3, in uh, verse 17 rather, not 7. Paul says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So, again, this is a very familiar verse. And we cite this verse commonly and for good reason. Because we often want to get the point across that in everything we do, in every word, in every deed, every action, it is based upon the will, the word of God. So today what I want to start uh, with is just uh, start in this lesson a series of just simple lessons on the topic of authority and uh, really just making the case for why we do everything that we do specifically through the lens of what God has told us um, and why we uh, necessarily there then do not take in what the world has to say but rather just specifically look at what God's word has said and, and hold fast to that. Again, this is a verse that we hold very highly and for good reason, but I think it clarifies everything down to God's authority. I really like what uh, Brother Ed Bragwell, I don't know if any of you know who that is, but he, he was a, a preacher, particularly uh, in the South for a long time. And one of the things that he said that I always uh, try to repeat is that everything boils down to authority. And, and when you talk about anything, I think, that, I think that's absolutely the case. It always comes down to what has God's word said. Not what I say, not what Luke Cap says, and not what anyone else says, but what has God's word said about this specific matter. So I want to ask the question this morning, begin this series by asking, does authority matter? And obviously, just, you know, spoiler alert, it does. It means everything. Um, and so we're going to go through three points this morning, and the first of which is going to be just, just really... <laughs> repeating the fact that you already know. The reality is, is that authority is a part of our objective existence, period. No matter what anybody wants to say about, you know, uh, the, the term authority, a lot of people use that word pejoratively and they say, oh, it's just such a gross word and we should, and, and really, we are, have progressed to such a uh, sophistication that we don't need that term anymore. No, we absolutely do. And it's one of the, that is one of the reasons why we need it so much more today is that so many people think that we don't need to understand who gives us authority by what we do, all of these things, the choices that we make. But wherever you have a hierarchy of any sort, that is an example of authority. You have the government. That is a very good example uh, of, of what you can look at today and see they are, uh, that is a position that, that wields jurisdiction, that wields dominion of some sort. Any le leader or servant role, there's a hierarchy there. There's authority there. And then even from those, uh, those, you have a manager, and then you have an assistant manager, and so what, they, what have they done? You've delegated some of that authority to another uh, employee of this, you know, wherever you are. And then they have oversight over uh, the same group of people. But uh, again, <laughs> whether it's delegated authority or not, Everyone uh, 
works with and and all of our lives honestly we can't ever say that we that authority doesn't exist uh because the person who says that has to answer the question well by by what authority are you saying that so there are so many people today that says you know i don't i don't, I don't follow any rules well except for that rule that you just made and so uh, we have to understand that everyone believes in authority to some degree i was reading something i saw something a while back online and um th there was a uh, a book, I honestly have not read it, it was just somebody posted an ex excerpt from this book. Uh, it was uh, by a fellow named Max Licato. I wouldn't necessarily recommend reading, uh, reading his books, but he was giving an illustration by another man uh, that was given by another man named Frank Kosh in the magazine of the Naval Institute. And it really just illustrated, I thought pretty well, the importance of obeying authority with one of his personal experiences in the Navy. And so the, the story went like this. From Mr. Kosh's perspective, he said two battleships assigned to the training squadron had been at sea on maneuvers in heavy weather for several days. I was serving on the lead battleship and was on watch on the bridge as night fell. The visibility was poor with patchy fog, so the captain remained on the bridge keeping an eye on all activities. Shortly after dark, the lookout on the wing reported light bearing on the starboard bow. The captain called out, is it steady or moving astern? The lookout replied, steady, captain which meant we were on a dangerous collision course with that ship. The captain then called to the signalman, signal that ship and say, we are on a collision course, advise you change, 20, change course 20 degrees. A signal was sent back stating, advisable for you to change course 20 degrees. The captain said, I'm a captain, change course 20 degrees. The reply came back, I'm a seaman second class, you had better change course 20 degrees. By that time, the captain was furious and spat out, I am a battleship, change course 20 degrees. And this time, accompanied with an overwhelming flash of light, the brief message came, I'm a lighthouse. <laughs> Mr. Kosh concluded, we changed course. Now, I, I really liked that story because even though the captain did not want to change course, even though uh, he, he had, had much weight behind the title he carried, behind just the, the role that he played, even this man, he did have to change course. He had to bend to the fact that if he didn't change, he was going to hit the lighthouse. Uh, and so obviously, when we're faced with those kinds of circumstances where it's either we move, we change, or be destroyed, and certain death, well, we, we understand those moments. Well, that, that is authority. I mean, no matter how way, how, which way we want to look at it, that is something, that, that is the reality. That's, that's a fact. It's something that can't be changed, and it's something that we can't change just because we want it to be changed. So everyone, to some degree, whether they want to acknowledge it or not, uh, obeys some kind of authority to some degree. We all obey the authority of gravity. <laughs> no one can defy that, uh, that law. Um, and so, I, I mean, you just, even from a secular perspective, you have to respect authority to some degree. Now, all that just to say, whatever choice people make is based upon choosing one authority over another. Over in Colossians chapter 3, again, if you're, if you're not still there, Colossians chapter 3, we already kind of uh, talked about this in the Bible class, but beginning in verse 5, Paul says, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immor immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. 
For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience, and in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and freeman. But Christ is all and in all. Now, the reason I wanted to uh, read through that passage is because here is one passage of, of a few, actually, where Paul says, you used to live this way. And there's a reason that you used to live this way, as he says in Ephesians, because those were the deeds of darkness. And you lived in darkness. You obeyed those rules. You obeyed the, the law of the land, let's say, of the domain of darkness. But now, what have you done? You've taken on a new authority. You've taken on a new standard. And you've taken on... Ultimately, a better standard because it's going to lead you to a better uh, conclusion. This is going to lead you to a better place, uh, ultimately. But, but, but I wanted to go through that just to say, you know, again, we all choose which standard we want to follow. We get that choice. God has given us that choice. Um, you just think, of, again, not even just in terms of religion, but when you, just, uh, when you play a game with someone, you, you, you try to get a group together to play baseball or softball, whatever. When you all agree to play that game, you agree to play by the rules of baseball. And you don't just get to bring, you know, a, a tennis racket, first of all. I don't think that it's going to do much with a hard baseball. But you don't get to bring uh, one of those cricket bats that has a really wide base and you don't get to say, well, this is how I play baseball. Well, everyone else is going to look at you and be like, well, then you don't get to play because that's not baseball. See, everyone understands the rules. They understand that, if you, uh, that what you're agreeing to is residing in these rules. And so everyone chooses some kind of authority to put on themselves, whether it be particularly when it comes to uh, the spiritual things, the things that matter most. You get to decide whether you put the yoke of Christ on you can decide whether you want to continue in the yoke of the, of the devil and of the world. And let me just tell you, those two burdens greatly differ in the weight and in the, and in the uh, conclusion. But finally, over in Luke chapter 20 with this point, Luke chapter 20, ultimately everyone chooses their own standard. What Jesus makes clear in this passage is that there are only two choices. There are only two sources of authority. Beginning in verse 1 of Luke chapter 20. It says, on one of the days while he was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders confronted him. And they spoke, saying to him, tell us by what authority you are doing these things, or who is the one who gave you this authority? Jesus answered and said to them, I will also ask you a question, and you tell me. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? They reasoned among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered and they didn't, and, and, that they did not know where it came from. And how does Jesus respond to them? Nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. There's a few things there that I think are, are interesting. Um, and I don't want to get too far away from the main point that I want to make here. But one, to one degree, I think it is interesting that Jesus, he just doesn't answer them. Well, he does, but not the question that they wanted answered. It, if you really, if you want the honest truth, then you need to give me the honest truth. And one thing that Jesus, I think, reveals here is that questions that are act, asked with this kind of hypocrisy, questions that are asked with really no intent 
to get to you know the the sincere genuine uh, conclusion, which is what God has said. Well, we don't have to treat those with the same respect. You don't have to treat the dishonest questions with the same respect you treat honest questions. And we absolutely can look at that person in the face and say, if you're not going to even try to be honest here, then, then we don't need to have a conversation. It's just a waste of time. And here, they truly did not care about what the truth was. All they wanted to do was trap Jesus. All they wanted to do was find something, something to convict him, to get him to be put to death, to shut him up. Ultimately, you... <laughs> The, the, the thing that does convict him is the truth, the reality of the situation, that he is the son of God. But the main point that we find here, uh, one of the things that I think we find here in Luke chapter 20 in the first eight verses is that Jesus makes clear that there are only two sources. There are only two different places that we can go for a standard, whether it be God or man. And it, or, or it is God or man. And you can say, well, there's a lot of different choices than that because you could take a standard from this guy over here who lives in another country, lives in another state, or you can take your own standard. Guess what? That's still the standard of man. Whether you have decided to choose a mentor's perspective, their standard, their rules, or especially in the first century, if a proselyte came and was trying to learn the standard of the Pharisees, guess what? They've taken a different standard that doesn't stem from God. Now, let's not to say that everything the Pharisees did was wrong, but, it, but as you look at what Jesus says to the Pharisees, the scribes, the hypocrites, he says, you, you proselytize these people and make them twice as much a son of hell as you because you don't practice what you preach. Um, and, and so those are the only two sources of authority that we can find, God or man. And as we go through the rest of this lesson, really with this next point, what I want to do is make a, a historical uh, appeal to why... <laughs> I just think man is totally unequipped to be the sole authority on really anything, but particularly spiritual matters. But before you even get to spiritual matters, I just want to look all the way back in the beginning in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. So, so what you have is Adam and Eve able to walk in the garden with God. No sin. No sin yet. And they have this beautiful relationship, this intimate relationship that God created us to have with him. And before sin, uh, you know, before sin ruins everything and brings death, what you find is in verse uh, 17, verse 17, uh, or beginning in verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. When you read through that commandment, when you read that verse, it's very clear. In fact, I think it's so clear that Adam was so very, uh, uh, very capable to repeat that to Eve. And she knew it. Uh, she, she knew it when the serpent came and asked her, what, has God really said this? She repeats what God said to Adam. And so it's, it, it's not like it's a vague command. It's not hard to understand. It's very clear what God was saying was going to happen. The punishment that would happen, uh, the, the penalty of which uh, sin would bring about. You get to chapter 3, particularly in verse 7. What happens when man decides that, when Adam and Eve decide that they're just not going to do what God says? It says, the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And what did they do? The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And as God is calling out for them, why is it that they're hiding? Because they were afraid. 
because they knew that they were naked. So even from the very beginning of this, you don't even have to read through all of the curses that God gives them, but even from the very beginning, even they understood immediately something's off, something's wrong. And look what happens as soon as man decides to take another authority besides God's, his own authority besides God's. Well, it brings about death. And it brings about the need for Jesus to come and sacrifice himself so that way we can share in his life and no longer have to be under that penalty. And so from the very beginning, what we find is that destruction follows when man chooses his own path. Uh, even even to uh, when you look at people who are trying to make a difference in, in just in the secular world, particularly when you look at the transgender community. The suicide rate, they, they talk a lot about the suicide rate, and, it's, and it is something that should be concerning. But what we find is that worldly counseling on the matter is not helping whatsoever. Because worldly counseling would suggest, well, we need to cut th- everything off that makes you even remotely distinguishable as, as you know, a person. And we need to change a lot of things and make it look very different and then what happens after those surgeries are actually, are actually um, performed? The statistics suggest that nothing, at the very least, it doesn't make anything better. It's the exact same statistic, the suicide rate at least. And in fact, it may be a little bit worse. And so what you find from, from a, consistently is that worldly counseling, the, the, the word of the world, it, it not only brings about death, but it exas- exacerbates the problem. In Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12, and in chapter 16 and verse 25, I put them both up here because they both say the same thing. And I think that there's a reason that God repeats this. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Why does God, first of all, why why does God say anything? Well, so that way we can know what his will is. Why does he repeat himself? Well, for the very same reasons that sometimes we repeat ourselves. Because when we talk to people, sometimes they may just be, too dense at times, to, or maybe just completely dishonest, and so we need to repeat it over and over again until they understand what we're saying. Or you have to repeat one verse to somebody until they understand what it is saying, until we accept it. We, and parents do this a lot with children. It, now, what did I say? My dad used to have a rule. He said, when I talk to Luke and I give him a chore to do, I tell him three times. I said, what? And then I tell him three times. And I said, what again? And I tell him three times, and I finally got what he said. But that, that was his rule. And it was because, you know, I didn't do very well at listening when I was a child. And so we repeat ourselves so that way we understand the point. And God makes this point, I think, over and over and over again, just in revealing the stories that we have all throughout the Old Testament. That worldly counseling, that man being the sole authority, only leads to further destruction. So you look at, um, so you look even further into the history of man, particularly with God's people. Uh, in Leviticus chapter 10, we'll, we'll go there in just a moment. But authority matters in everything that God's people do, that God's people uh, does, even in something like worship. So you look at Leviticus chapter 10, and you have the story of Nadab and Abihu. Who were Nadab and Abihu? What was their role in the kingdom of God, in God's holy nation? They were priests. They were sons of Aaron, and they had a beautiful responsibility, a wonderful privilege to be able to, 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 to perform these, these uh, ceremonies, to be able to perform these religious uh, ceremonies with the offerings, with the incense, and all of these things. And they had everything that they needed, too, just like we said in Genesis. God was very clear. If you don't think God was clear, read more. Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy even. Read more. 
because apparently you haven't read enough. God gets very descriptive, and he is so clear. And so you can't say, well, there's no way that Nadab and Abihu could have known what was going to happen. No, they should have known. God was very clear about what their responsibilities were. He was very clear about their work was supposed to be. And what did they do? They decided that they were going to take it upon themselves to offer what? Strange fire. And some of your versions may say unauthorized fire. That is fire that was not uh, an offering that was not authorized by God. An offering that was not spoken or prescribed by God. But man decided that they wanted to take it upon themselves. Nadab and Abihu decided they wanted to take it upon themselves and choose something else than what God had actually said. Because maybe God wasn't clear enough, right? And what happens? As soon as they do that, as soon as they offer this strange offering, this unauthorized offering, they are consumed. Now, uh, some people would look at that and say that maybe there was uh, some more things happening there. Maybe alcohol was, was involved. Either way, it doesn't matter. The point was, they went before the Lord in an unauthorized manner, in an in a, in a unholy manner. And they did something that God did not prescribe when he was very clear about what he wanted in the first place. And so death follows. And so sometimes people will come and, and, and they say, well, you, all, you talk about authority all the time. And it's just you just, you, you just beat people to death about, with this topic about authority, authority, authority. But, do, I mean, does it really matter that much? And it's like, yes, even the small details are a big deal. Because they only changed one thing. They only changed one thing. It's not like they went in and they, and they uh, you know, brought in several unauthorized different animals or livestock that God had not prescribed and slaughtered them all before the altar. No, they did one thing. And that one thing God said, that is, that is too far. And why did they go too far? Because you came before me and you did not care about what I had said, about how to come before me. And so even in these small details, I would look at that and say that's not necessarily a small detail. But even in something as small as worship, yes, we have to be very careful about even something like that, about how we, how we praise God with songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. Even that matters because all throughout history, what God has made clear is everything that he has revealed was for us. And everything that he, re- that he has revealed matters enough to the point where he says, if you, if you just reject it, well, then we can't have that kind of relationship together. And in fact, especially throughout the Old Testament, what you see is destruction over and over and over again. It is consistently devastating when men take it upon themselves to be the sole authority in spiritual matters. Over in 1 Chronicles chapter 13. And again, this point is mainly just to go through uh, not a super thorough history, but hopefully just to press in the point that historically... Man, when they try to do their own thing without the, without the commands and without the guidance of God, we just mess it up. 1 Chronicles chapter 13. I want to read the first few verses there. 1 Chronicles chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, it says, Then David consulted with the captains of the thousands and the hundreds, even with every leader. David said to all the assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you, and if it is from the Lord our God, let us send everywhere to our kinsmen who remain in all the land of Israel, also to the priests and Levites who are with them in their cities, with their pasture lands, that they may meet with us. Let us bring back the ark of our God to us, for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. Then all the assembly said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David assembled all Israel together from the Shihar of Egypt, even to the entrance of Hamath, to bring the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim. Now, you keep going... And what you find is that instead of doing as God had already prescribed, 
specific Levites, not just, not just from the tribe of Levi, but specific Levites were supposed to carry the ark on their shoulders. But what did they do? It says they carried the ark, of, uh, the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab and Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart. In verse 8, David and all Israel were celebrating before God with all their might, even with songs and with lyres, harps, tambourines, cymbals, and with trumpets. And when they came to the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark because the oxen nearly upset it. But the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, so he struck him down because he put out his hand to the ark and he died there before God. Now, sometimes we look at stories like this, and I, I think we may have mentioned this not too long ago, but we look at stories like this, and especially when we're talking to maybe non-believers or, or just people that we're trying to have studies with, we get to these kinds of passages and we think, okay, we've we got to make a defense for God. We've got to figure out how to make this palatable, when really, I don't, know what we're, I don't know what we're trying to prove there. What makes us think we even need to make a defense for God? That these people have received mercy to a great extent. They're lucky they even got this far. Because what did God say? That certain, uh, certain uh, Levites, specific Levites, they are the ones who are to carry the Ark of God, my Ark, the Ark of the Covenant. And here comes uh, even David, even a righteous man like David, and they say, let's do this. It's, it's new cart even. Oh, it's new. But what happens? That's not the way God prescribed. And destruct death devastating catastrophe follows because they just didn't do what God had said all along. And, I, you know, sometimes people will, will, as we talk about worship, as we talk about just the need for authority, people will sometimes come in and say, well, I mean, but look at what, look at what we're doing. I think this is just a good idea to help God. We're going to help God bring people in. What are you going to do? I just, I, whenever people say stuff like that, I just go back to what God says to Job. You just read what God says to Job. What, what, what are you going to give to me? You're going to make an offering. Yes, the offering that I gave you. <laughs> and so what is it that you can help me with? And people, people still come and say things like that. Or they say, we need to address the needs of our time. Well, what you find even in this story is that David ends up saying, we should have, even though it was written centuries ago, we should have known better. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But over in Second Chronicles chapter 26, Second Chronicles chapter 26. Uh, well, actually, we'll read that in just a moment. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But, but I think what leads men to do things like this, what leads us to, to take on uh, an authority other than God's is when they decide that their ideas are better than God's. And there's a few different ways that this can look. Over in Numbers chapter 14, Numbers chapter 14, you recall, as we've been going through the 17 time periods, you recall that this is the section where, right after they've sent the 12 sides, the, the people of Israel after the Exodus, they've been wandering, and um, they, they finally get to the border of, of the promised land. God has delivered on his promise. He's brought them there, and he commands them to go up. They send 12 spies, and 10 come back with a very bad report, really a deceptive report. And two of them, Joshua and Caleb, they were faithful. And while the 10 spies were saying, we can't take this land, it's not for us, you know, they're going to wipe us out. They're giants, and we are but grasshoppers before their eyes. And here are Caleb and Joshua saying, but we have God on our side. God has already promised this. Look at what he has said and do what he has said. 
and follow his commandment to the letter. But in Numbers chapter 14 and beginning in verse uh, 1, it says, All the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night at the report of the ten spies. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. What an idea. Or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. So there's just a a lot of foolishness being spoken by the Israelites. First of all, let's reject the leader that God has given us to, 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 to deliver us in the first place, to lead us this entire time. Let's appoint it for us, our own leader. And incidentally, you, you hear something very similar to that when you get to uh, the people crying out for a king to Samuel to look like the other nations. But, but, but that, that's a side point. Uh, either way, you come down to verse 20. They decide that they are going to go against God. Moses and Aaron intercede for the people. But in verse 20, after the, the people have sinned, it says, The Lord said, after, after Moses intercedes for them, I have pardoned them according to your word. But indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not listened to my voice shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who spurn me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has had a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered and his descendants shall take possession of it. And so what is the punishment? Well, that generation gets exactly what they were asking for at the very beginning of the chapter. Oh, we, would that it be that we had just died in the wilderness and not come this far? God says, all right, you, you said it. By, you, by, by word of mouth, okay, you get that. But guess what? I'll still have my glory and your descendants, your children, they're going to enter this land, but not you anymore. And why is it? Because they decided that God's plan, for whatever reason, because they were scared, because they thought that their idea, their, their plan was better than God's to head back to Egypt, it, it, it always amazes me the things they say about Egypt. And you just imagine, you know, hearing somebody in the assembly of Israel, can you just remember the pickles of Egypt? Can you just remember the, the, the fruit and the vegetables we had in Egypt? <laughs> there, was a sh- uh, there was a show that was like a depiction of, of that story. And, and one of the characters just looks at the guy and says, we were in slavery. But, you know, we, we tend to forget those things and we tend to become blindsided when faced with, with, with uh, trials or, or persecutions, afflictions that we feel like we just can't handle. But God brings that punishment upon them because they simply did not do what he had said. They didn't obey the commandment of the Lord. This also, I think, could be just because men think that God's way is no longer effective. You remember what we just read in 1, Corinthians chapter, or 1 Chronicles chapter 13, rather, where David decides, well, the David and the rest of the assembly, uh, they all said, this is a good idea, and it's going to be a new cart, not an old one. It's going to be a new cart. It's going to look really nice. And they put the Ark of the Covenant on there. And what happens? Still, Uzzah dies because they had gone too far. And David does not stay in this state of anger thinking, well, what is going on? What what is wrong here? We were just trying to bring the Ark of the Covenant back. Just two chapters later, in in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, it says, Now David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the Ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said in verse 2, No one is to carry the ark of God but the Levites, for the Lord chose them to carry the ark of God and to minister to him forever. That is just two chapters away from what has happened with Uzzah. So David understood. He learned the lesson. What was the problem? We just, we simply did not seek the Lord in the first place. Well, it was, it was, 
it was kind of veiled behind this really veneer of devotion and dedication to God. Because listen, we're, bring, we're doing something good. We're bringing the Ark of the Covenant back. And at the expense of completely ignoring, completely, completely neglecting the very words of God. But David comes back and he, and he says, this is how we're going to do it this time. We're going to do it the right way. And guess what? It was successful. As soon as they did it uh, in the way that God had prescribed, that is when it was successful. But I can't imagine, I, I wonder if, it, if, you know, some of the reasoning behind that is for the same things that we sometimes hear about the revelation of God today. Well, that was just centuries ago when that was written. Think about the time that we're in now. You know, <laughs> that was, you know, however many years ago and now we're still in B.C. Look how modern we are. But no, the word of God was still important. And yet people today saying the same kinds of things, particularly when you talk about something like homosexuality, they try to go in and they rewrite everything that God has said about that. Instead of seeing the, the glory that God wants for them, they rewrite everything. And, and, and they do that all in the name of, well, I mean, we're in 2022 now. Come on. This was written so long ago, 2,000 years ago, and, and, and the Old Testament even longer than that. So do you really think that this has any benefit for us today? I, th I think it's the words of eternal life. And so just because you can't handle it, that doesn't mean that I'm just going to let it go. And so it could just be that kind of pride that keeps people away. Second Chronicles chapter 26, we don't have enough time to go there. But King Isaiah, he was a very successful king for a time, for a time. But how does his life end as a leper? Because... Maybe it was because of all the success that God had brought him for the same reasons that God was talking in Deuteronomy to the people. When you take the land, make sure that you stay humble. Don't think that it was by your power that you got, in, that you got here, that you got the victory. Remember, it was because of me. And it looks like King Isaiah forgot that it was God who brought the victory. And so he tries to take on another role that is not for him. He was a king, but he was not one of the priests. And he tried to do something that was only uh, set aside, that was only prescribed for the priests. And what happened? He's struck by God and is a leper for the rest of his life. And so that kind of pride, when, when, when man thinks that we progress past the need for God, maybe that's what leads us to this kind, of, this kind of silly mindset of taking our own authority over God's. Well, finally with this point, not doing things the way that God has prescribed, not doing things God's way, leads... Not just one, but I think many into destruction. And you can look at the whole story of Numbers chapter 16. It's kind of a lengthy read. Don't have enough time to go through it. But what you find is Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, they all come in. And these three men with their families, they, tr they bring the whole congregation against Moses. Now, at the very beginning, it looks good because at the very least, when Moses intercedes for the whole congregation of Israel, he ends up uh, being able to save the bulk of Israel, for at least at the very beginning of the story. They separate from uh, from, from Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and then God swallows them up as a sign that Moses is right here. Moses is still the one that I chose to lead you, not these men. And even these men, you look at their positions, they were Levites, and they had, a more special, uh, res they had more special responsibilities, privileges, than the rest of the tribes of Israel. But because they didn't get to do everything the priests did, well then, that's, that's not enough for me. And so they go forward, they try to do something that is not designed for them, and God swallows them up, and the earth swallows them up. And so, there's, and so I say all that to say, it, it's not just these three men, but their families, their possessions, the people that followed them. 
This, when, when men do not follow the authority of God and decide that they are going to abandon it for their own, it leads to not just them, but many being led astray. And that's why, and that's one of the things Paul says as we're going in the Bible class through First and Second Timothy and Titus. He so frequently talks about those men that we need to be wary of. In Romans chapter 16, Romans chapter 16, beginning in verse 17, Paul says, Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of, the Lord, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. And so what does he say? You need to note those people and turn away from them. You need to make sure that you don't allow them to, to, to upset the faith of many. Or even some. Over in 1 Timothy, as we read not too long ago, beginning in uh, verse 20 of chapter 5, Paul says, Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. Now, this is in the context of right before he's been talking about elders. This could be talking about um, more specifically elders. I still think that there is an application beyond just the elders because we have other passages that talk about how we deal with those who are causing uh, divisions within the church. But what does he say? You make sure that you do this for what effect? so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. And so he makes an example. You need to make this example with this person so that it does not spread. You can't let that cancer eat away at the rest of God's people. And so you be wary. And you make sure that you, that you don't just abandon just because someone else has abandoned the very commandments of the Lord, even when, uh, even when it may be difficult. Well, all of that just to say, as it says and, and we read often in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and verses 16 and 17, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. What we should find in all of this is that man is completely unequipped to be authoritative outside of pointing to God as their standard. You know, I remember I was teaching, uh, especially through uh, Matthew chapter 5, as it talks about being light and salt and light, uh, of the earth, and, and you get to uh, verses 13 through 16, and it talks about those good works. And I was, go I was talking to a group of, uh, uh, from middle schoolers to high schoolers, and, and I just asked, what is a good work? How do you define that? Let me tell you, you ask several different people of several different backgrounds, they're going to all give you different ideas. Now, I would hope that if you go to several different Christians, even if they are from different backgrounds, they'll be able to, to unite with one idea. A good work is whatever God has commanded. A good work is what God has said. Not me and no one else, but what the Creator has said. So finally, <clears throat> I just want to talk about that idea of God having all authority. For one, of the, for one reason, it is because He is the Creator of all things. He is not created. He is the one that put us all here, and he's the one that put everything around us here. You find in Genesis chapter 1, we already studied about this last, uh, last week in the creation account, but he is the one that put it all here. And if he is the one that made it all, he has special rights and rights that no one else shares. You see the same kind of uh, fact in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14 as he's talking to Moses, and Moses says, who do I say sent, has sent me? And he says, tell them I am has sent you. I am who I am. What does that mean? It, it means just someone who, not who, who, as we just said, who wasn't just created, isn't like the rest of these false gods and idols. 
wood and stone, but the one who just exists. So when did you start? I am. (laughs) Where did you come from? I just am. And for that reason, he has all authority, and he gets to make the rules. In fact, uh, I I do think that this is uh, one of the places to begin, because that's where Paul begins often, particularly in Acts chapter 17. We're not going to read it right now, but in verses 22 through 31, where does he start with Gentiles, with, with pagans? But he starts with, I want to talk to you about this God who put everything here. And so that's where Paul starts. But even from uh, just looking at uh, God being the source of all things, I think he often uses that as the standard alone. What does he say in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2? But speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy. Why? For I, the Lord your God, am holy. And every one of you shall reverence his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. Why is this? I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves molten gods. Why? I am the Lord your God. And guess what? You can look throughout the rest of, uh, uh, of not Lamentations, Leviticus chapter 19. You're going to see that over and over again. Sometimes he'll say, well, you remember how you were slaves in Exodus. And so this is why. Remember that. Be, be compassionate to, to the strangers and the foreigners. But there are other times where he just says, you want to know the reason? Because I am. Because I have that right. And you don't. And so we need to be satisfied when God says, that's enough. It's just my word that you need. And all we have is silence. We need to respect that because we don't have that right that he does to fill that silence. But beyond that, not only does he have authority because he is our creator, but he is the king, the king of kings. He is the one who reigns. Isaiah chapter 52 in verse 7 says, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, Your God reigns. You could also look over at, at Psalm in verse uh, in chapter four, or Psalm forty-seven, not chapter uh, Psalm forty-seven in verses six through seven. It says essentially the same thing, and you can't disassociate that rule, that reign that God has over everything because He is the King. You see uh, this the same uh, title given to Jesus, Philippians chapter two. In verses nine through eleven, for this reason also God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and, and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so uh, when you come even to Jesus, and, and we could go to even Colossians chapter 1 and verses 15 through 18. But you look at Jesus and, it all, and, and here God has given him all authority. He reigns over all. And one day, one day, everyone will bow. Now we get to decide when that day is. We actually get a choice in the matter. It can be today, or it can be in the day when Jesus says, every knee will bow, and they will confess me, and I will bring the sword. And so which day are you wanting to to subject yourself? Which day are you wanting to bow the knee to Jesus and, and pledge loyalty to him? But I will say that there is a special kind of rule that he has over his people. Because if you've decided to bow the knee today, and have become a part of his kingdom, one of his disciples... You're no longer a part of that domain of darkness we were talking about. But rather you're a part of his kingdom. And if you're a part of his kingdom, if you have said that you are making him your king, truly, then what that means is, thy will be done, not mine. And in everything we do, not just in, not, not just in public, but in word and deed, we are doing all in the name of the Lord Christ, my king. And so it's not just... 
uh, that he absolutely has all authority because he's created us. He's put us here. He's given us life just as he's given everything else life. But also because I am your king. And I have this right as well. And particularly for Christians, we need to remember this fact that all authority has been given to me, Christ says, in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And so what are we doing? We are, we are but mere heralds of the king. We are just speaking what he has spoken, nothing more. And incidentally, nothing less. But we are just repeating what, his, what he has already given to us, what he has revealed. And so we need to recognize God's authority in, in every aspect. But finally, all of, just want to conclude with this thought. Why is it that this matters so much? Why have we gone through this whole lesson about the importance of, of God's authority in our lives and the importance of seeing the folly of trying to, to follow after man's, uh, man trying to be the sole authority? Well, because if you look at anything like grace, mercy, forgiveness, salvation... All of those things, they only have power if there is authority behind the one giving it. I can say, your sins are forgiven. But guess what? I don't have the authority to do that. I, I mean, I can, I can say the words, but that doesn't mean that I have the power or the authority. But we actually have Jesus. Uh, there's an example in Matthew. I believe it's Matthew uh, well, I can't remember now. But when he's talking to the paralytic man, he, he heals him. He forgives him of his sins. And the whole point of him doing that is to show, well, if he has that kind of authority, if he has that kind of power, then he is the Messiah. He is the one that can bring our salvation. But some, some random person just comes up and says, hey, I forgive you of your sins. You're absolved of them. What does that mean? Nothing. That, that is inconsequential. It kind of reminds me of what, what James talks about as he's talking about those who would just say, be warmed and be fed. And then you slam the door in their face. Well, guess what? Guess what good that did them? They're still cold and they're still hungry. Nice job. Spot on. No, authority actually means a lot. If you have the authority and the power to actually fulfill a promise, well, that, that means that Christ truly is the king. That means that Christ truly is the Messiah, the one that can actually bring salvation. And so, as we conclude this morning, no matter what the world may declare, no one can truthfully or logically deny the existence of authority in our lives. You just, it, it's a part of it, no matter what. Ultimately, though, no matter what authority one chooses in this life, there is an inherent knowledge that it is subject to a higher standard than themselves. Because even when you make a rule, guess what? Nobody else has to abide by that rule. So what authority do you wish to submit yourself to this morning? The world's, the devil's, your own? All of that is man's. And when you begin to think about it, none of these standards, none of these authorities will ever be able to promise anything with the force of a guarantee. And that is because while each of those standards are accessible, or, 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 you know, each of those standards are, are you know, able to be chosen, none of them have any power, none of them have any jurisdiction, none of them have any dominion. They don't have any authority behind them to deliver. But there is one person who says, I can deliver. And in fact, just look at what I've done. I already have are you going to accept that? So Christian, have you strayed from the authority, the, the source of our authority? Have you strayed from God's commandments? Well, if you have, then you can start listening once again. What that means is you've got to stop talking. And you have to stop listening to others, but listening to him.
and come to his word. If you're not a Christian, are you willing to pledge your life to no other authority but Jesus and enjoy the rewards, these beautiful rewards that he says he will give to those who truly do pledge themselves to, to, to him as their king? Are you willing to do that this morning? If you are subject to the invitation of Christ, we would love to help you in any way possible. Let your need be made known. Come forward as we stand and as we sing.